Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. How about that parade over the weekend? All right, we can't have parades. We can't have mass gatherings. But we would have had a parade for that horse championship for Mike Conley. Well, probably not, because if we could have a parade, then we could have games. We had games, and we wouldn't have had a horse contest. But let's not get too logical about this, okay? It's Monday morning, and we don't really want to engage the brain at that high level this quickly. You know, one thing that did come out of the horse contest, we all saw Quinn Snyder. We saw off-season Quinn Snyder. Hair down Quinn Snyder. What I believe to be, well, well-rested and well-fed Quinn Snyder. I think that makes a difference. I think these coaches just run themselves into the ground. PK and I talking about that right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. It is time now to talk about whatever PK wants to talk about, and PK wants to talk about Quarantine Quinn. <laughs> we haven't seen Quinn Snyder in a while. We got to see him during horse. He made a, a brief taped uh, appeal message of support for Mike Conley. Yes, he did. And so I'm watching that with my wife, and she said, I don't think I've ever seen Quinn Snyder look better. <laughs> <laughs> now, he's a little disheveled. Uh, you know, he had some facial hair. But you see him in the games, and, and he looks malnourished. He looks stressed. <laughs> these guys, what they go through, you know, these games, it's just uh, their insides are churning uh, a lot of the time. And here he was. Not in that situation. You know, he was relaxed. He he looked healthy. He looked kicked back. And she said, I've never seen him look better. <laughs> it got me to thinking. Now, when you saw Quinn Snyder, if you watched that, which I did, and, and he had that little tape message for uh, Mike Conley doing the horse competition, he did look pretty good. He looked relaxed. And, man, I wish there would be a way that these guys – wouldn't feel the weight of the world, but that's what coaches feel a lot of the time. They feel so stressed, and they can't, uh, they they just can't even think straight sometimes. I I can recall uh, talking to a coach, a football coach. The season ended, and uh, I think they won their last game, but they didn't have the season that they wanted to have, and so it was probably like six seven hours after the game was over and i'm talking to the coach and he's just saying i'm just so drained i got nothing i can't i can barely even talk to you because we're going back and forth and we're you know i'm trying to lighten the the the, the mood a little bit because i knew it was a stressful situation and so i'm trying to have some fun with them and we're throwing some song lyrics back and forth, and he's, I got, I got nothing. I, I just, I can't even think right now. And this was, this was literally at least five hours after the game ended. Uh, but the, the amount of stress and pressure that these guys put on themselves, and I guess we too, we being all of us, you know, fans and whatnot, uh, these guys just really, really feel it. And, yeah, I know they get paid a ton of money. I understand all that stuff. But it was good to see Quinn in a relaxed environment and maybe to be more of himself because when you do those interviews, either before the game or after the game or at a shoot-around practice, you know, they're so intense and focused and whatnot. And I haven't been around Quinn Snyder a lot, but there's been a couple times that I've talked to him uh, just off to the side, and yeah, he is a relaxed dude, 
and you can have good conversation, but they just, they just, I don't think we, even myself, who has been there next to these guys, so to speak, I don't think I can fully comprehend the amount of pressure that these guys have on themselves. So I think that's why you go with the, uh, and you don't like it, you know, the cliche, we put more pressure on ourselves. Now, the negative argument of that is, yeah, well, we'll fire you and you won't fire you. <laughs> so there is that. But if you yeah. set that aside, I think they do put a lot of pressure on themselves. And I think the reason Quinn looked so much better is he's probably eating more and sleeping more. And there you yeah. go. And, and there you go. It's not very complicated, people. I don't think he eats well, and I'm really sure he doesn't sleep much. I, I, I'm probably 95% sure on sleep, and I'm probably about 65% sure on the, on the food. But I think that coaches don't take care of themselves. And they either eat too much, they eat too little, or they eat too little of the healthy stuff, and they eat a lot of the stuff that's just handy but isn't that healthy? You know, too many carbs, too much soda, that kind of stuff. Um, I, I, there's, there's a story I, I can't even... I, I Stop think describing I can even, my appetite. <laughs> but in the summer, we all know Urban's wired tight. In the summer, Urban told me, and it was odd that he told me this, but he told me, it hurts to go to the bathroom. And... He's, he's walking out of there with a, a cup of coffee. And I'm thinking, you're dehydrated beyond belief, dude. You just don't drink water. You're another coach, and the diet's just jacked up. And, you know, some of these coaches, and I know they're, I know they're basketball coaches and football coaches, so, it, you know, you don't want to come, you know, it's not, you, you know, you're not a brain surgeon, right? You're, you're not working for NASA. But despite that, I think we're getting to the point here where there are, there's a lot of money, and there's a lot of balls to juggle, and it attracts some highly intelligent people. And I think one thing that highly intelligent people really struggle with is they can't turn off their brain and they can't sleep. And I think, I think that's a common problem in the coaching profession, not just with head coaches that you know, but with assistant coaches working their way up. And I just think their sleep patterns are all jacked up. And when I saw Quinn Snyder on, on that horse contest with uh, Connolly last night, I just thought, I'll bet he's sleeping six hours now. I don't know that he's sleeping eight like he ought to, but he's not sleeping three and four like he does, you know, on the road, plane trips, you're getting in a hotel late. I'm just sure he's not sleeping in those situations. And it just, over the course of a season, it wears you out. Yeah, I guess it does. And uh, especially when you have high expectations. Uh, when they first got good, when they signed uh, Diao and, and Joe Johnson and who else? It was some other player that they had there that they brought in. They, be, they became a, somewhat of a veteran team, uh, George Hill, and they became a veteran team pretty quick after they had been young for so long. And so it was at, just at the end of uh, uh, the uh, media day, and I happened to be in the gym portion uh, alone with, uh, with Coach Schneider, and he says to me, uh, man, we're going to give you something to good, good to talk about this year. And I looked at him. Yeah, you're thinking it's going to be a good season. He says, well, I don't know. But if it's good, that's going to give you something to talk about. But now that we have these expectations, if it's bad, that's going to give you something to talk about. <laughs> After, you know, when they were building, what was that? Yep. Was that his third season? Yeah, they'd been and building. So I thought, yeah. Brought in yeah. veterans. I thought, you know, the first couple seasons, 
you, you didn't have a whole lot of expectation, you know. It would be like when Larry Kristobiak took over the Utes, you know. We weren't going to crack on them for losing some games. I mean, obviously they were going to lose some games. And uh, they needed to build a little bit there. And so I thought about, yeah, you're right. And uh, either way, we're going to have more because of the expectations. So once you have those expectations, uh, that in just increases the pressure. And these, these guys do put so much pressure on themselves that uh, it's impossible to avoid. But I, th- I think Quinn should grow some facial hair and, and let him coach in jeans. Maybe maybe that would be a little more relaxed atmosphere. You know what I mean? Je- Instead of having these suits on all the time well- and looking like they're so official. People are weighing in now. Quinn, this is from Jill, who you've met, former Channel 2 intern, huge jazz fan, huge Ute fan. Jill says, yeah, Quinn looked so much better. She gave it four O's on so. His hair looked natural and better than when he slicks it back. So she, she goes right to the hair. It, too much product in the hair. I don't know if Quinn cares what Jill thinks, but, you know, that's what Jill thinks. Well, I find that interesting now. We've got a couple of females who are uh, at least uh, casual, if not intense, sports fans, and they're both saying the exact same thing, uh, and they notice that. Yeah, make it three. My wife thinks that he always looks not healthy. She will routinely come. He doesn't look good. He doesn't look okay, healthy. Did she, did she see him last night? She did not because I was watching at work, so she wasn't. I don't oh, think okay. she saw it. So, but she comments, you know, she usually, if, even if she's not watching the game closely, you know, she knows how the season is going and how games are going and she'll ask me and she'll walk through the room and the game will be on and she'll watch for a couple minutes. So, yeah, she'll, uh, she's like, yeah, he didn't look healthy. I'm like, yeah, he's stressed. I don't think he sleeps. All right. When we come back, he's talking NBA. David Locke is on the way. John Clayton on the NFL draft after that. David Locke's next. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ, PK, and David Locke joining us on the Sprint special guest line. Sprint makes it safe and easy to get what you need online. Visit Sprint.com for online services and local store availability. David, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good. Uh, We're going to have John Clayton on in the air in a little while to talk NFL Draft, and I thought you had a Seattle connection. I thought you told me once that you actually knew him pretty well, a little bit. Yeah, pretty well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, certainly say hi to him for me. Okay. That's just Seattle crossing paths. You just couldn't help it? Yeah, I mean, we were both at KJR at the same time. I think he switched stations since. Um, so we were both in the same station um, and probably did a bunch of shows together. Um, so, you, you know, he was he was kind of on fire at ESPN at that point. Um, I've talked to him since a few times about uh, various projects we might get involved in together. So, um, yeah, please say hi to him for me. Okay, Mr. Locke. So All right, I listen Mr. Kinahan, to your... what do you got? What do you got for me? <laughs> I listen to your. Where are you, pl- where are you playing plea. this? Where are you playing this week? Where are you playing this weekend, PK? Uh, I think I might go. Uh, let's see. Uh, Victory Ranch? No, nothing. Nothing up your way is open yet, is it? No, Summit County's not going to be open for a while. I don't think from my hearing. So I can't even get in. Yeah, that's right. 
keep me out. It's probably good for your county and good for me. So yeah, we don't we don't this week. want people. Evidently, we're trying to do. I'm saying this tongue in cheek. I'm fully supportive. Um, I think we're trying to do the best we can to make Summit County as miserable as possible right now, so that nobody will come back to their house to visit. <laughs> Well, in time, everything will be open, and we'll get up there, and it'll be fun. Uh, right. But I listened to you, I think it was on uh, with uh, Jake and Gordon, where you were talking about Rudy Gobert and his offensive uh, ability. And I agree with you to an extent. Uh, actually, I agree with you to a large extent as far as his offensive ability. But with that in mind, I still want to know from you, do you think the Jazz need a big man, rim protector, five center, whatever you want to call them, who can shoot threes? Because it doesn't look like on the roster that they have one now. So that's you know, so it's it's a weapon that you at least have in your disposal. You're saying, um, yes, not not as a as a compliment to Rudy, not as a um, as as a replacement, right? Not, not specifically as a replacement. Yes, I mean, if, if they decide he's a replacement, maybe so. But I'm not saying specifically as a replacement. I'm just saying have an opportunity to put that out on the floor if you want to in a situation. Um, I mean, I think anytime you have versatility, that's good, right? So that's um, and it, so anytime you have the possibility of, of having multiple options, um, you know, I don't know what my other choices are, so it's an easy answer to say yes, but like, you know, one, there aren't a great deal of fives that shoot that well. Um, and so this would have to be a pretty, I think, offensive minded lineup. I mean, um, there's an interesting free agent, Alex Len, who I think will probably get paid, but he's seven feet. I think he could be taught to be a pretty good rim defender. And he's kind of learned how to shoot the three at a below average level. I don't, I don't know that that player fits your bill of what you're talking about because what you also get to is there's a difference between someone who shoots the three and someone who makes you guard them shooting the three. And the purpose of having the five shoot the three is to spread the floor and open up the floor um, so that then you can um, have driving lanes and have better offensive ability. Okay, so with that said, though, let me back up. And and so I understand what you're saying. Now let me back up just to be devil's advocate for our conversation and say, like, why? So right now we have Tony Bradley and Rudy Gobert, and predominantly we have Rudy Gobert. And since Jordan Clarkson's joined the team, the team is the number one offensive team in the league. It has played only, I think, three of those games against top five defenses and would have had a few more coming. So let's just assume it would have slipped and that they're the number three offensive team in the league. I don't actually know that that's true. They might have still been the number one offensive team in the league. Why do we need something offensively? We're the number one offensive team in the league. We're the number three offensive team in the league. The concept that Rudy is somehow hurting us offensively, I, I, don't, I can't find that actually mathematically because since you know we've added to this roster and and spread out the four with rudy rolling as the five we've got the best offense in the league okay so the goal is to have the best team in the league so does that mean as you peruse all the numbers or just the eyeball test as you and ron boone watch games that the jazz have got to get much better at the defensive end of the floor 
Yeah, I mean, I think there's still an element that they have to get, that they do have to figure out what they are off uh, defensively. Um, you know, all they did in some extent was flip from being the number one defensive team and about the number 11th offensive team or lower, and then flipped it to being now the number one offensive team or close and the number, you know, 11 or 12 defensive team. This, this route gives them a much better possibility to win a playoff series. Um, you know, they could get hot shooting and beat anyone in the league on a given night. There was not a scenario last year, at least in my opinion, and I think this played out, where they could be so good defensively that they slowed someone down enough to be able to catch them with their offense. Their offense just wasn't, didn't have enough firepower, even if the defense had a good game against one of the elite teams in the league. Um, they have the p- capability now offensively to have a route where they can win a series as an underdog because they're that good offensively. Um, it's just been hard for us, I think, to understand who they are as a team because it's so it's such a flip from a year ago. But the the margin is narrower um, defensively than it used to be, and but the margin used to be really narrow offensively. What specifically has led to that defensive situation? Oh, I mean, I think Boyan at the four is a pretty dramatic difference um, than having Derek Favors at the four. The defense was was awfully good um, when Favors was was in. I think the league might have adjusted a little bit um, as well on just you know things that you have to do to to move the greatest defensive player in the world. Um, I'm, I would guess I haven't looked at it that our defensive numbers just aren't as good when. Rudy's on the floor by himself, um, but Jay Crowder was a probably a better defensive player than Boyan Bogdanovich. Our length, um, Ricky, you know, Mike Conley is considerably smaller than Ricky Rubio. He's you know got a lot of areas where he's got a positive, but he's you know Rubio's big for his position, long for his position. Um, we were generally long at every position, and now we're probably small at most of them. So I think there's a length um, and size issue that probably precluded us from being as good defensively as we did before. But, I mean, I have – I'm going to go back to it, right? But on the other end, we're the best offensive team in the league since we added Jordan Clarkson. So, you know, part of that is that you have Boyan Bogdanovich and you have Mike Conley and you have Jordan Clarkson. And, you know, you've, you've made us uh, – there's nothing wrong with doing that because you've got a benefit on the other side of it. So back to PK's original question, then, what about the possibility of adding someone – and making the number one offense number the number one offense by a wider margin because you do have the versatility. It's a different way to attack. It messes with teams that they gear up to play one way, and then as soon as Rudy checks out the game, they put in this imaginary three point shooting five man. We just whipped yeah, I mean, up one, out of I thin really, air. I guess I'm having a hard time grasping who that person is. So that's a little bit of a hard question for me. Yeah. Um, and the second question is if I'm looking at the data, which I'm now going to try to pull up quickly. Um, not knowing that this conversation was coming, I would think that the answer is actually, can we get better defensively in the 12 minutes a night that Rudy's not on the floor? Is a better approach for us than trying to get better offensively in those, you know, maybe it's not, you know, in those 14 minutes. Um, so I, I'm not, I'm not sure I'm buying. I, I don't, I don't buy that Rudy hurts us offensively. I understand that it from, you know, Quinn's standpoint or, or someone like that, you know, coaching it, that there are some things that, you know, his lack of 
ability to take advantage of some of those switches on him and some things like that are difficult. But our offense is in the 81st percentile at a 114 when he's on the floor. Our defense is in the 77th percentile. We're plus 6.5 when Rudy's on the floor this year. When Rudy's off the floor this year, which I, I don't know what's coming here, to be totally honest. Um, I haven't looked at this in at least a month, so not much longer. Um, when Rudy's off the floor this year, we're a minus 4.5. Our offense is in the 40th percentile. Our defense is in the 23rd percentile. Um, I, I think that's probably the issue is we've got to find a way in the few, tw- you know, the 12 minutes a night that, or 14 minutes a night that Rudy's off the floor to be better. Um, the defensive ratings are 114 when Rudy's off the floor this year. That's really not good. And so I think that's the issue that probably has to be fixed. Now, some of that is that Ed Davis just didn't have the bounce that he's had in, in years past when he came to us this year for whatever reason. And, and some of his defensive techniques did not match um, the defenses. But with Tony Bradley on the floor, we're even because our offense is really good, but the defense is still in the 22nd percentile and we're the last in the league enforcing turnovers with that group on the floor. So, um, I, you know, I think there's some, I, I'm, I'm going to go the other way on this conversation. I, I, I think if you're trying to fix something in the 14 minutes that Rudy's not on the floor, I'm not looking for an offensive minded stretch. I'm looking for somebody else who can protect the rim the way Milwaukee added Robin Lopez to Brooke Lopez. So when you say that group, it's not just simply Tony Bradley. Are there no, o- no. others involved that are leading to those numbers? Yeah, I mean, I think you just, you know, if you look at all of our personnel decisions that we've made, and and I'm a proponent of this, um, so you can't sign Kawhi Leonard, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Like, you don't get to go sign five two-way players, right? Like, that's just not how it works. So you're building a roster and you have to have an identity in your roster. And we made a conscious effort to make an, get an offensive minded roster and we did a hell of a job with it. And so, yeah, Jordan Clarkson's not a, he battles, he puts out a pretty darn good effort. Um, but he's not, you know, he's not an elite defensive player. Um, you know, what's interesting by the way, on Tony Bradley, that's probably worth noting and probably worth digging into a little bit more. And I just had, wasn't prepared for this. You actually look at the two most commonly used lineups that involve Tony Bradley, and the defense is really good. Um, in fact, let me just kind of run one or two filters and get Jeff Green off the floor with Tony Bradley and see what happens here. Because I actually think that looking at the season-long numbers on Tony Bradley actually might uh, be faulty. Actually, that flipped the other way. So, no, I mean, the offense is great. With Tony Bradley on the floor – and no Ed Davis and no Dante and no Jeff Green. So this is when Jordan Clarkson's on the floor with Joe Ingles and George Niang and either Donovan or um, or uh, Mike running it. Um, the, the offense is great. Like that, that group is in the 94th percentile of all offenses. It's just not very good defensively. Now, interestingly, it's not very good defensively when Emmanuel Moutier is in the game instead of from my quick scan here. Um, if I take Moutier off the floor, then it doesn't get much. But no, defense just, for whatever reason, the, the two primary lineups, the defense is good, and every secondary lineup, it's not. So the defense is not very good in those lineups, but the offense is great. So I would still hold to kind of what I'm saying, which is, um, and I apologize for kind of bouncing around there, but I, it's not a com- thought I had before you guys brought it up. So I'd have to try to, you know, and I don't like to just do it off the top of my head. I'd like to back it up. So the numbers back up what my instinct is, which is, if I'm trying to adjust something that we're doing defense with the second unit, 
it is not an adjustment that we're making to add a stretch five. Our offense is fabulous with that group on the floor. It's a the defense has not been great. But again, you know, I don't look I don't think a lot of people think Jordan Clarkson, Joe Ingles, George Niang, Tony Bradley, and either Mike Conley or Donovan Mitchell are players who are defensively inclined and are elite level defensive players. So um with that in mind, I think that's the roster you've built, and I think that's great. Okay, so uh, this is homework for next week. So you have something to do because you got a lot of free time in your hands, and you're probably driving your family nuts. So here's a project. Are you ready? Sure. Let's assume that the NBA is going to come back and play. Let's assume that whole everybody goes to one city Vegas model works, right? And they take over two courts and hotels or UNLV or both or whatever they do. Let's assume that they want to play as many games as possible. There's been talk about shortening some early playoff series to best of five and maybe skipping the rest of the regular season. But let's assume they want to play those regular season games put them all on the sports regionals, finish those TV packages out, make as much money as possible, and that they want to play the full seven. That means it could be a pretty congested schedule, and they won't have travel to account for if they're all in one city. Which teams would benefit from a – and you can just tell us off the top of your head now, but we'll let you check it out and back it up next week. Which teams would benefit – have a deeper roster and could handle a congested schedule if they try to put in as many games as possible into whatever short time frame that they are trying to wedge these games into. So the interesting thing on this, if we do do this, is home court advantage is not going to matter. Right. And so I can't imagine Nikola Jokic is playing every single one of these games. Right? Particularly coming back from time off. So if you're one of the good teams... And since we're probably not playing 82, seven of the eight teams, if not eight of the eight teams in the West, know they're making the playoffs and just about the same in the East. I think you're playing, I think you're almost playing an A roster and a B roster early on um, before you put your roster together. Um, So, you know, you're playing Mike Conley one night and Donovan the next, and maybe you're playing Rudy one night and Tony the next, and you're, you're working your roster in a unique manner. Uh, to get players healthy. I haven't talked to anyone about this. I'm just totally making this up. But um, when they're, you know, the only thing you'd be playing for is whether you're trying to alter your seating in a way so that you, you know, avoid a team you don't want to see. Denver knows how to do that well. Um, and so that would be the only thing because you don't really care whether you're the four or five or 60 because it's really being being three, four, five, or six would now be the, the exact same. You'd like to avoid the Lakers and Clippers. Um, but otherwise, you're just playing that same group of teams, and there's no home court advantage. So I think you just see a lot of resting. Do you know, would you be allowed to broadcast those games? I have not the slightest clue. Early leader? I, mean, I, would, hope, I would hope so. I mean, you need to have the local. You need to have local broadcasting, however you're going to get it done. Um, you need to have the local flavor on the broadcast. You can't do this and have... Um, I mean, I, you can, but I think it would be a really bad idea to have a national broadcast coming out of every single one of these games um, so that your fan doesn't feel any connection to the people that they 
you know, that they're connected to. I, I think what we need to bring back, and I was actually really fortunate to be on a call with Danny Meyer, the great restauranteur who, you know, probably most people know him for Shake Shack, but he also has created kind of six or seven of the best restaurants in New York the other day. And I thought he was really interesting when he was talking about the fact that, you know, what we're looking for as, as people is we're looking for safety and we're looking for love and we're looking for collectivity. I, I think it's really important if sports is going to come back, we do need to have that collective entity and we're not going to be able to do it by being in the building together. So what are the other ways that we as a group can feel a togetherness rooting for our team while social distancing? And so I think having Craig Bowler, Jack and Thurl Bailey and Matt Harpering, you know, bringing you the ball game is really an important aspect of that. That's your guys and your people and you're connected and having KK on the sidelines. And I think that's a really important aspect of this, if it's possible, is to give the fans that, you know, that feeling again. And, um, and hopefully there's an aspect that Ron and I bring it to you on radio as well. So um, I do think that that anything that can kind of bring that collectivity um, is super important. I'm very, very disappointed in the two of you today, though. Well, I have another me thought too. on the whole media stuff, but uh, I'm pretty disappointed in me, too. I'm not bringing the energy on a Friday like I I mean, say. we won a championship last night. <laughs> Mike Conley we salvaged the championship <laughs> last night. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Salva- I mean, we won a championship last night, and not even a mention. Well, we were going to finish on a high note with that, David. I mean, you you know, you kind of preempted this here, as you tend to do. Hey, what burying the lead? Nope. Ending on a high note, Dave. Besides, we're about the team, and that was an individual honor, Dave. So those are secondary. Well, we're social distancing, so maybe we should be about individual honors and WNBA <laughs> draft today. PK already mentioned that. We're there. Hey, just thought I'd point out. Are you yeah. excited for are you excited for the last dance this weekend? Uh excited is too strong. I, I would go with curious. Uh watching the ten part Jordan documentary. I want to see how many young versions of our former self uh, wander into the screen during the NBA Finals. <laughs> I think it's inevitable that some Salt Lake media is going to end up on TV. Who was standing where or asked what question they used from a press conference, I have no idea. I have no clue. But I don't know. Uh, it, in a 10-part series, I'm thinking there's a lot of time on the Finals. So, you know, I don't know if Brad Rock's going to pop up or if PK is or if you are or if Booner is. But, you know, I figure somebody is along the way. So I interviewed Ben Golliver this week who had a preview edition um, and had seen eight of the ten episodes, and Mm -hmm. he says it's pretty great. Good. Well, they had unbelievable access, and and I think a lot of us are suckers for that kind of stuff. We we love watching NFL films when they have the video with the winning coach addressing the team and everyone's pumped up in the locker room. We rarely see the losing coach when everyone's pissed and there's some player raging in the locker room. I love, I love those, but we don't get to see those. I was watching uh, uh, a football life on, uh, now I'm blanking on the guy's name, the Patriots linebacker, and he was talking about how... Teddy Bruschi? No, um, USC guy. Um, Willie McGinnis. Thank you. Willie McGinnis, yes. Nice. And Willie, it was very good. It was very well done. He's a very interesting guy. He's a great interview. And he was talking about how he went in and trashed the team after they lost 
a playoff game to the Steelers, 7-6, to the Pete Carroll era. They'd been to the Super Bowl, and he'd had a taste of it, although they lost. And uh, he loved Parcells, and Parcells took off, and Carroll's there, and they lost, and Carroll's like, it's okay, guys. And the guys were like, yeah, it's okay. And he didn't think it was okay, and he snapped on the team. And, and he admitted on camera, he says, I lost it. It was over the top. And they said, do you regret it? He goes, no, I didn't regret it at all. It was totally over the top, but I would do it again. As a matter of fact, I did do it again. I didn't regret it at any time I did it. <laughs> It was awesome. Like, great. Right. And so what I wanted was, well, bust out the video. Do you not go? I guess maybe they just don't go into the losing locker room so they don't have it. We've all seen the game ball awarded multiple times. I want to see Willie screaming at his teammates about, you guys got bad attitudes. Think like a winner. Be pissed. Let this drive you all through the offseason. We're coming back next year and we're taking this thing by the throat. It's not okay. <laughs> I've seen my team lose the playoffs. It's not okay. It can get a little cranky. I don't mind that. Let me see it. Yeah. You're a beautiful human being. I try. All right, David. We will uh, talk to you again next week. Thanks for coming on with us. I, and by the way, right. I think you will be broadcasting because that uh, connectivity thing you talk about goes hand in hand with the local sponsor reads and mentions and logos, which I think they'll want to take care of. But I wouldn't be surprised if you end up broadcasting off a monitor because they are going to try to minimize any chance of a positive test for any player. So the more they can keep everybody away, it would not shock me if you were in Utah uh, calling it off a monitor. We'll see. Yep, we will see. All right, thanks, David. See you. There's David Locke coming up next. His former tag team partner, John Clayton, on the NFL Draft. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ, PK, and we're joined now by John Clayton. You remember him from ESPN. He's a contributing columnist at the Washington Post and a host on 710 ESPN Seattle. John, good morning. Good morning, guys. So I guess the question here with the NFL draft looming is, are we going to see any craziness because they're doing this virtual draft, social distancing? Will that lead to some miscommunication and some foul up and someone's gonna, something's going to get messed up and it's going to become legend? Yeah, I would think so. Because you know, and you know how it is right now in, in radio when you have uh, you know everybody uh, working from home on uh, Wi-Fi and you know Comrexes and things like that. I mean, how many times does somebody you know blink out and all this? So, you know, like for example, you worry about maybe being in Tampa or something like that if there's going to be a big lightning storm or thunderstorm or something like that. So you figure that there's going to be things that can go wrong, and it's going to be so different in that regard, but. In the end, everybody has to try to figure out how to make it work because, again, I think it's the wise thing to go ahead with the draft because try to push it back. You don't know when to be able to push it back. I mean, it could be back to July if possible. So, no, I think you just go ahead and make the best of the bad situation. Well, John, I am sitting at home using my Comrex right now, so hopefully that you didn't jinx me and that uh, everything goes well. (laughs) I saw that you wrote a piece 
that, uh, you know, because of this unique situation, it may hinder trades, but you think that trades are still going to happen. We can't predict that, but what are you looking at as far as activity? Well, I go back three years, and the reason I went back three years is now you have the compensatory picks, the 32 compensatory picks that were going to be tradable. And so in those three years, you know, it was 111 trades, an average of 37 a year, and 23 of them on the average were in the third day of the draft. And so what I think you'll see, pretty much the normal level for what happens in the first two rounds, because, you know, you certainly, like, for example, I know Bob Quinn, the manager, general manager of the Detroit Lions today, said that the, if he trades from three, he'll have the deal done by Thursday afternoon. And so I think some of those pre-deals can be done, and you still have 10 minutes to work a trade. So I think that can happen. In the second round, you got seven minutes. That's still possible. When you get to the third round and you go through six, I mean, you only have five minutes. That may not be enough time. So I think you're going to see probably half the number of trades in the third day of the draft, and you only have four minutes in the seventh round. So I think you'll see a cut down there. And, again, the key is, I mean, you've got to make the trades and then still be able to get the picks in and get the trade information. I mean, if you have some complicated trade you know, with uh, you know, a fourth-round pick next year and blah, 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 I mean, it just may take too much time. Obviously, among the local players we're following here, there's several There's several good stories. Quarterbacks, well, it's, it's quarterback. It's always a huge story. So where does Jordan Love stack up among the quarterbacks? How quickly are the quarterbacks going to go off the board, and where do you think Jordan might end up? Well, certainly Joe Burrow is going to go number one to Cincinnati, and then it's a matter uh, what do the Chargers want to do because the Chargers are sitting at six. And I think Tom Telesco has a history of being worried about players with injury histories. And so because of that, and I think that uh, that would probably prevent him from wanting to take Tua. So he, he may have to trade up to three to get Justin Herbert. And then uh, Tua goes number five to Miami. And then figuring out where Jordan Love goes is probably the biggest mystery of all because he's a top 14, top 15 pick. But, you know, it's kind of like the situation – years ago with Aaron Rodgers because I remember uh, you know Aaron Rodgers was sitting there and it was 2005 and he drops all the way down to 24 because what you have is a lot of AFC teams and a lot of teams that may not be looking for quarterbacks either they have young quarterbacks or quarterbacks that are taken care of so he could go 23 he could go somewhere like that but the, you know the only thing holding back Jordan Love right now is the teams in need of quarterbacks so in virtually every mock draft, and I've looked probably at about 25 of them, I'm looking at one right now, pretty much everybody has in one order or another the Dolphins taking a quarterback at five, the Chargers taking a quarterback at six, and we'll see how that plans out, whether it's Herbert or Tagovailoa, vice versa, whatever it might be. But my thought for you with it seems like a consensus that the Dolphins are going to go with a quarterback uh, does that mean Josh Rosen is going to go the way of Matt Leinart as far as being a bust? Yeah, it's pretty much the same situation he was experiencing in Arizona that uh, you know most likely they'll have to end up trading him or seeing if there is an ability to trade him. Now, again, the trade market is not going to be necessarily as good as last year for trading a quarterback like Josh Rosen. But I think the one thing, and again, we always we always have to put – 
the difference this year with the virus and what's going on because the expectation for all rookies has to be less. And so, for example, I mean, there's a thought going around the league that virtually none of these quarterbacks that are drafted could have enough time to be ready to be starters in the NFL because you don't have an offseason program. You don't have you may have a shortened training camp. I mean, there's so many things that work against them. Maybe that gives Josh Rosen, because he was there last year, the chance to maybe stay on the team. And then uh, Tua has a chance to just, you know, sit, 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 and then at some point start. But uh, I think you have to put that into a factor. And in fact, because we still don't know for sure, you know, if there's going to be a 16-game season. And so because of that, you don't know if there's going to be a delay in the start of the season. So that, that those factor in there, too. That's why if you're Miami and you think two is the best quarterback, which I think they do, you take him. And, but, uh, you know, for Rosen, probably it's not a good situation for him. John Clayton joining us here. And so, John, when you're talking to people or texting with people and they can talk privately and tell you what they really think, what do they think the NFL season is going to look like? Will it start on time or late? Will there be fans or not? Will it be 16 games or not? You, you can have the opinions, but nobody knows for sure. I mean, because, again, you know, there's still time, but certainly – it's going to be so different. I mean, for example, what you're looking at in Los Angeles, the mayor and everybody in politics there says that they see no way that you're going to have any type of uh, game with fans in uh, probably the whole state of California. You probably throw in uh, New Jersey, too, because of how bad things have been. And so now what you have to consider is that the, you know there may be – you know, games now, uh, and maybe a lot of games played, but no fans in there. And so uh, I know the contingencies right now, they, they're they going to put some of the non-division games up in the first four weeks because if they need to eliminate games and go to a 14-game schedule, they'll wipe two weeks out there. They'll wipe two more weeks out of the second part to go to a 12-game schedule. But, you know, still there's the looming possibility that uh, you may see football with no fans in. We already know from the college standpoint there's a growing likelihood that they're because they need the fans, they probably will wait till February and go February to May. But I think there's, you know, but no, no from the NFL standpoint, nobody knows for sure. Speaking of nobody knows for sure, what do you think the Patriots are going to do as far as their quarterback position? Is it going to be involved with some trades or drafts? I think right now, no, let's say that Tua does drop. Then I can see the possibility of them trading up and getting Tua. But uh, if not, I mean, they can go for Jordan Love at 23. More likely than not, they'll take a position player. And then I think in the second, third round, that's when they'll start looking for quarterbacks, whether it's going to be Jalen Hurst or Jake Fromm or somebody like that. It could be uh, you know, Jason Eason or Jacob Eason. I mean, so they're going to take somebody in the first three rounds. But at least the plan right now seems to be they like Jared Stidham. And so they're going to probably go with him and Brian Hoyer and then groom a quarterback uh, from the draft behind those two. John Clayton joining us, Washington Post contributing columnist, host on 710 ESPN Seattle to talk NFL draft. The Utes are going to have a lot of players drafted. It seems like a half dozen is a lock, and possibly it'll be more than that. You have a line on how many guys will be drafted and how many of them will go the first two days and have a really good chance of making rosters. Hi, you know, the one thing is is that uh, you know, with the rosters expanding a little bit, I mean, it gives most of the players a good chance to go. But uh, you know, you know, when you start to look at the uh, the list right now, you know, I didn't have as many going in the first three rounds. But uh, clearly, I mean, what are we looking at? Probably five, four or five, maybe six guys. 
Yeah, possibly, yeah. Jalen Johnson yeah. being a potential first-round pick. Yeah, and because I have him right now uh, pretty much right on the fringe of you know being in the first round you know, because obviously there's some injury situations and that, but uh, you know, he should be in pretty good shape. You know, that's the one thing. I mean, it's a, it's a really good cornerback class. It's a phenomenal wide receiver class. Uh, and now, because again, I had 18 receivers going in the first three rounds, and you know, you're going to get third round grades that'll go into the fourth and fifth round on the wide receivers. Zach Moss at running back. I know he's one of the 58 players who's been invited. Do you think he's a second or third round guy? Yeah, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Seattle would take him in the because uh, they have two low picks, <clears throat> including the thirty-second pick in the second round. I think he could be a candidate there. Now, again, it's not a matter of him starting; it's a matter because Chris Carson's a starter and a real good one, but he's coming off a hip injury uh, and had a hip surgery. Uh, so it's like no surgery, but a hip injury. And uh, Rashad Penny is coming off an ACL, and the earliest he's going to be able to go probably is going to be seven weeks into the season. So I could see Moss being the big type of back that uh, you know could go there. You speak of, John, of receivers being a great class, and, and a lot of mock drafts have several receivers going in the first round. I wanted to ask you, do you think, and in the way the NFL is constituted today, not a top flight uh, DeAndre Hopkins or Jerry, Judy, and whoever it might be in this particular draft. Not a top-flight kid at receiver, but say a decent receiver. In today's NFL, is his value more than a better-than-average running back? Uh, yeah, I would say, well, I don't know. Right now, it's, it's interesting because you know receivers make more money than running backs, and we put Christian McCaffrey aside. But, uh, you know, you're watching guys that you never expected you know, like, for example, nobody did anybody expect Michael Thomas to emerge as one of the best uh, wide receivers in the league and Cortland Sutton going to the Pro Bowl. You're seeing a lot of guys. I mean, DJ Clark uh, having, you know, Grogo. So, so I think that right now you, know, you have a better chance if you're a second, third rounder to establish yourself at wide receiver in this passing league. But also what you're seeing is that the running back position is that, uh, you know, everybody wants multiple type running backs, you know, because, you know, you have your third down uh, back on passing downs you have your power back on rundowns and you know most of the top teams in the league you know have to establish a good running game and they may have been, they may be by committee you know eight, usually what eight nine teams that uh, make the playoffs are going to be teams in the top say 13 or 14 rushing the football so you know it's like uh, you can maybe not get the money at running back, but you can certainly establish yourself a little bit faster at wide receiver. Maybe not in the first year, but by the second year and the third year, because sometimes that conversion for a wide receiver is more difficult than it is for a running back. Utes have a history of putting defensive linemen in the NFL. Uh, Bradley and I, Lucky Fotu, what do you think might happen to these guys in the draft? Yeah, I'd say right now that uh, they're like second and third round. I mean, this is not a great year for edge rushers, but certainly because, uh, again, there may only be uh, as few as three, maybe four that will go in the first round. But uh, when you start to get into the second round, there's a lot of options there. And so it's just a matter of you know, which teams are looking. But that's the one thing you know, that kind of hurts a little bit because most teams have made their moves, whether it's for a 3-4 outside linebacker or a 4-3 defensive end. And so that draws things down a little bit. We watched that in free agency. 
with wide receivers because what happened with the wide receivers is they thought they were going to get 10 or $11 million, but with so many wide receivers in the draft, that pulled things down. And so just, it's good. So, so some of those defensive edge rushers will drop at the you know, second, third round seems to be the nature. Did uh, David Locke grate on your nerves when he worked in Seattle? <laughs> no, we, we got along great. He grates on our nerves. He's a good. He's a good. He's a good man. I meant. I miss talking to him. Oh, okay. Well, we have him on every week. We maybe we should get you on, and you should surprise him one week. That'd be fun. Bust his chops. We'd love that. Sometimes he got a little crazy on some of the basketball stuff. Yeah, is that a surprise? <laughs> Not really. Breaking down the numbers. Well, he said to say hi. We had him on. Uh, we had him on a little earlier, and he said to say hi to you. He says there were some good times up there in Seattle. Yes, absolutely. All right. Well, John, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for coming on and talking about the NFL draft with us. Okay, thank you. There's John Clayton. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines. Stay with us.